Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. At the beginning, uh, in the first term, we looked at packing our bags. What would it be like to pack your bags for a big journey, a journey with God, of course. Um, And this term, if you are sort of with us for the first time this term or even for the first time today, our theme is going to what we're calling on the road. Um, Sort of uh, God encounters as our journeys unfold. I know it's a little bit bit small, but it looks really cool on the poster and stuff. So... (laughs) Hey, so, all right, for those, for those with, with, eyes, with eyes not as good as mine, it says God encounters as our journeys unfold, so there you go. So take notes, take notes, and if not, go out there. But hey, what the heck. Um, and so if we're on a journey, we are, we are travelling together, I guess, in some ways in convoy through the year, um, but these two weeks are a little significant part of the journey. So today and next Sunday. So today I'm talking about ascension, which is something that we don't often talk about in church. And next week, Tim will be talking in both services about um, Pentecost um, or the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So it's like if we were on a journey, we've just got a special destination to, to sort of, you know, take not a side road, but to take a little bit of special attention to. So bring your cameras, take your selfies, all of these sorts of things. This is what we'll be doing over this week and next week. Because I think if you think about the church calendar of events, particularly if you're in a church like ours, you probably would think about Christmas, right? You know, kind of, what are the big things of, of, of the Christian calendar? Well, it's Christmas and Easter, and then you might stop there, or then we might stop there. You know, so we understand Christmas a little, the incarnation, God becoming human, and we understand Easter a little, you know, kind of death, burial, resurrection, and then, you know, Easter Sunday, celebratory, we might sort of think, well, that was that, now what happens from there? And so these are important times for us just to get a little bit of a handle on maybe what would be the fourth and the fifth significant moments and days in the church calendar, which are Ascension Day, which was actually Thursday, um, uh, just this last Thursday, 40 days after the resurrection, uh, and Pentecost Sunday, which is next Sunday, 50 days after uh, uh, the, the events of Easter. And so we're just going to, we're delving into those. And, and they're important because they say different things to us. They lead us further into the whole story. And so the ascension completes the act of glorification of Jesus. It's, it's if you like, it's, it's Christ's coronation. Um, it's where Jesus is installed at the right hand of the Father and, and, and begins his rule in a different way as, as prophet, priest, and king, some, some would say. And so if we leave off Ascension and then Pentecost looking through into next week, um, we have this incomplete picture of what Christ is doing. So I hope in a small way we, we're able to, to, I don't know, some move even into some slightly new territory over these two Sundays. So my introduction to the Ascension began quite by surprise only a couple of years ago, which, which surprises me when I look back because I think it is really important. And um, I was over in the States at a Vineyard Scholars event, and I was with um, one of our staff members from the Vineyard College, uh, Jonathan Rankin, and we ended up having dinner with this lady called Cherith Nordling, and she's, she's a theologian in, in, in Chicago, and, and she'd just finished writing a book or a chapter of a book on the Ascension, and, 
And I just, I just loved listening to her as she talked about some stuff in theology and practice that I had never, never really delved into at all. And so out of that, I said, I'd love you to come to New Zealand. And we, she was going to come to New Zealand last year, um, but because of COVID. And so I got her to do a, a sort of a workshop, if you like, with some of our vineyard pastors and some of our vineyard students um, because I just thought it was such an important thing. And so I wanna, I'm going to show you a couple of clips of Cherith. They're not, they're not great um, quality, but just from that video conference that we did with her, just to grasp a little bit of this which may be familiar to you, but I'm sure it won't be familiar with everyone because I think it's pretty inspiring. So hopefully we get this right. But if you can get him properly, the, the resurrected, ascended, still incarnate, still living, still human, still looking like his mom and his uncles and probably has his uncle's nose and doesn't have his stepfather Joseph's nose, but he does have the DNA of his mother's family line, and he looks as much like her as he looks like the image of his father in heaven, that this person, who is still this particular person, is the one who is promising us that because of who he is, not just what he did, but what he is still doing, as this new firstborn from among the dead, firstborn of a new creation, that he is standing as the first in line, first, first edition of new creation, saying, if you want to see how this turns out, take a good look. But if you can get... Oh, sorry, we go. So if you want to see how this turns out, take a good look. So we're just going to start to have a, a little bit of a look here this morning. We go to the scriptures and we read of the ascension. If you've got Bibles, you might like to turn to Mark chapter 16. We're going to read Mark 16, uh, Acts 1. So you might like to follow through with me with, uh, in the ESV, but whatever version you've got will help, I think. So when Jesus arose on the first day of the week, verse 9 of Mark 16, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, which is significant in itself, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and she had been with him, they didn't believe it. So that's kind of a fascinating story too. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them um, while they were walking, on the, uh, walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. So he's gone from one to two. And then finally, Jesus appears to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And then it leads into something that we know in church as, as um, the Great Commission, which you may be familiar with. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And then importantly, we move into verse 19. It says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. We'll come back to that. So the Lord Jesus spoke to them, taken up to heaven, sat at the right hand of God, the disciples go out, preach everywhere, and the Lord works with them. Okay, so just keep that in the back of your mind. But then in Acts 1, we have another account 
with it. And so Luke, who's written the Gospel of Luke, he's writing a second book in a sense. He says, in the last book I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day, until what day? Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, which we understand at Easter, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. So this is a little bit later. He's gone, you know, they've established now that he has been resurrected, that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're getting introduced to Pentecost, which we'll, we'll be in. And incidentally, Pentecost, the church color for Pentecost is red. So you may like to come resplendent in red next week if you're a little bit daring. That would be great. Um, uh, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We're in verse 7 now. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he comes to the end and he says, or, or says and after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And all of the th- everything's going to be different as a result. So in thinking about this, because it's kind of theological, and I wanted to, uh, to, to get a bit of a better idea from the people like Charith, who you've met before, um, but also um, I came across this guy, Patrick Schreiner, from um, Midwestern Theological Seminary uh, in Missouri, and I, I thought he had a great point. So I just want to take you to another little clip that might just help us at this time. I mean, if the resurrection affirms that Christ lives in that forever then the ascension affirms that he reigns in that forever. Christ is now reigning at the right hand of the Father, and he's sent the Spirit to empower his followers, and he's now directing all of those affairs upon the earth. And according to Acts, uh, he will return in the same way that he left. I mean, if the rest... Which is the the piece that we've just read, but we might have missed sort of right at the beginning. If resurrection proclaims that Christ lives forever... The ascension proclaims that Christ reigns forever. This is an important distinction. Sort of it's been taken taken another step. And so as we understand that, we begin to get a a, a different... We we worship in a different way. We're aware of Jesus in a different way. And so we discover it's not like Jesus, you know, kind of he's he's sort of in spirit form or something like that before before the incarnation, before he comes. It's not like, well, I'll, I'll take on this you know, kind of the fragility that exists in a human body. And as soon as I can, I'll do what I need to do. I'll shed it. I'll take it off. I'll go back to heaven. I'll wait till I'm, I, I come back again. But no, we find that Jesus, he stays incarnate until he returns. And he'll be the, he's the same way as he's, as he's leaving. He's the same way in some sort of form in what he is uh, in, in the trinity of the now. And as he will come back again, this changes the deal. This changes the way 
that we can view this, and it's pretty mind-bending. It's an incredible thing. And so I think it does some things in our mind when we have at least something of an understanding of what Jesus is doing. And so I want to just take the rest of my time here today to, to pose a few ideas, to the, the thoughts of what I think we can begin to think about as some of these things happen. I think one of the things that it does is it shows us that Jesus is still at work and he is still working with us. So remember back in Mark 16, we read that, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that were accompanying it. Jesus is at work. Jesus is at work today. It's not sort of a, man, I think the Holy Spirit might be doing something and if only I could discover what it was. But Jesus is at work. We, we uh, embrace the work that Jesus is already doing. He's not on holiday. He's not twiddling his thumbs somewhere in the heavenlies waiting, you know, kind of for the, the green light to go and come back to the earth. He's busy as Lord of the earth. He's, he's, he's um, uh, involved. He's not just past tense, what he did at Christmas, what he did at Easter, what he's going to do at a second coming. But he's present tense in that he's still at work. We see him still at work in the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. So as Stephen is stoned and he, and he looks up to heaven, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God and involved in this process that's taking place. It's an incredible scripture as, he's, as Stephen is taken to be with Jesus. And so we find and discover the incarnation is permanent now. There's no such thing as the incarnated Jesus, so incarnation being God becoming flesh. There's no such thing as the incarnated Jesus um, not being connected or separate from the eternal Jesus. It is one and the same thing. He has a body fit for the world to come. We've already seen something of this in that he walked through walls, and yet he still cooked and ate fish with the disciples. This is incredible. And so Cherith picks this up a little bit again. You who have given me your mind by the Spirit, you are thinking things. You speak to me, not just by the Spirit, but you can speak with a mouth. You hear Spirit-taught words that are part of this triune conversation with the Father by the Spirit. You are dying and living to give us your Thoughts and words and action and presence and invitation to participate with you in what you're actually doing, not me guessing what you're doing. Or, oh, sorry, we kind of skip her there. Somebody said the dust of earth is sprinkled on the throne room of heaven. This is the process that we are part of, and we get to live in, and we get to understand, and we get to be wowed by. And so I think it takes us into this idea, too, that God's plan is bigger than we can ever imagine. You know, the disciples had their questions. We read about this in Acts chapter 1. They say, oh, okay, well, we, were, we thought you were going to restore the kingdom to, heaven, uh, king, uh, kingdom to Israel, but it didn't work out, and you died. And now you're back again, and they say, so is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, oh, it's not like that at all. It's like, this is not for you to know. But this thing I'll tell you is you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses in your own local community, in your Jerusalem, in your kind of region, if you like, in your Judea. You're even going to go to the people that you hate and don't like and, you know, kind of it's going to be messy, but it's going to be amazing to the Samaritans. And then it's going to be even to the end of the world. And it's like, 
man, this is an incredible thing that's going to happen, you know, kind of as the Holy Spirit arrives, which means that now is important, which means that now is something that Jesus is involved in. It means that we're not in any holding pattern, and he's not in any holding pattern. We're not waiting for heaven, but we're engaged in his dynamic plan, which is being outworked even as we sit here, as we enter this week, as we are part of life and faith and doing the things that Jesus is encouraging us to do. I think it also says to us and talks to us about Jesus taking us to heaven to be with him. This might be the most mind-blowing part of the whole thing. But just as Jesus is still with us in this dynamic way, so he has made heaven a place both for his presence and ours, a tangible human presence. Going back to Cherith's first quote, he has taken at least the DNA of Mary and her line into heaven with him. And so we have the sense of Jesus taking us, you know, kind of, I guess not in a, in a sense of, of, of the way we look at ourselves in our, our, our sinful place or our, our not so good, but, but cleansed and beautiful, renewed, if you like, into the very presence of the Trinity, And it's through Jesus' ascension that we can enter what theologians talk about as the perichoresis, as the the divine dance of this mutually submissive, beautiful, relational thing that is happening between the Father, Son, and the Spirit into which we are invited to. And again, it's not like, well, if I can only not be sinful until I die, I will get there. But it's this invitation for us to participate in what God is doing already. And the ascension, not the resurrection, I mean, the resurrection obviously was the step, but the ascension is what takes us into that opportunity. Athanasius said in the fourth century, he became like us so we could become like him. You know, not with, you know, kind of an an eternal thing in mind, but so that we could become like him. Or Paul says in Romans, we are heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. And when we understand something of the ascension, we can begin to think, Or maybe that actually is for real for me, little old me, here and now, which is just amazing. I think what else does it mean? I think we know that our prayers are heard. We know who's listening to us. We know who's taking our, you know, kind of, let's be honest, sometimes feeble efforts at prayer and and loving us and, 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 I don't know, shaping them even in a sense and bringing them before the the Godhead, before the Trinity, before the Father, however you want to say it. We also know that Jesus as our high priest is interceding for us in heaven. We come to the Trinity with great confidence because Jesus, who in some way is us, has been us, is is related to us in a way that is, um, you know, mind-blowing, is there and is with us in that process. And then, you know, I think we can know that we can begin or we can continue and we can walk in our journey without any sense of condemnation. And I want to, I wanna, as we close today, I want to I take you to the, the high point, or really the, the theological high point of the book of Romans. And I want to I highlight in Romans 8 some of the things that because of who Jesus is, and because of how he is shaping us and being with us, that we are able to embrace some of these things. So maybe you could turn, if you want, to Romans 8, but maybe you could close your eyes. And I just want to, I want to, in a sense, 
speak these things over you and, and, and read them in a way that can be sort of not so much as, you know, kind of it must be talking to some pretty special people back there, but being something that God might bring even into our midst today. And so Romans 8, 31 to 39 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us then? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? That's us. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one condemns us. Why? Because of Jesus and who he is. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Kind of a rhetorical question. The answer, no one. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced. I am convinced. And we can be convinced with the ascension in our hearts that neither death nor life, neither, remember, he's, he's not only defeated death, he's not only living forever but reigning forever, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just in a moment of reflection, I want to encourage you to, to look on Jesus anew and to invite him anew into your heart and your life. stand. In a moment we're just going to sing and worship again. The poet Malcolm Geith wrote a sonnet about the ascension. If you want to Google it at some stage, it's just called Ascension Sonnet. And you'll get it. But it goes like this. We saw his light break through the cloud of glory whilst we were rooted still in time and place. As earth became a part of heaven's story and heaven opened to his human face. We saw him go and yet were not parted. He took us with him 
to the heart of things. The heart that broke for all the brokenhearted is whole and heaven-centered now and sings, sings in the strength that rises out of weakness, sings through the clouds that veil him from our sight, whilst we ourselves become his cloud of witness and sing the waning darkness into light, his light in us and ours in him concealed which all creation waits to see revealed. And we're in it. We're part of it. And we can celebrate and glory in it with Jesus, with the Trinity, and with the knowledge of the ascension and soon the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.